It has been such a joy um, being back home again uh, this week and, and uh, having the uh, privilege and honor of being invited to, to share as worship leadership uh, with your great staff. I know David is probably really excited to get home this week. Give him a little re-entry time. I've done a few sabbaticals in the last 40 years and you can't just jump back on the horse right away. It takes a while. But I know he is excited to be back home with you. And uh, again, I am grateful for the chance to, to be with old friends and, and family and uh, people who taught me and were illustrations of the faith through my life and uh, people that we have met over the years as we've had a chance to come back home and visit. So um, we are truly grateful and it has been an honor to be here for the last couple of Sundays. Um, I... I retired one year ago this Sunday, and, um, and I will tell you this, retirement's great. Absolutely loved it, but, um, but I, I have found that uh, being able to be in worship and being able to be a part of the leadership team um, is something also that is, is something that uh, has been a blessing through the years. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of scripture this morning. We're going to start out with a short piece just to kind of set the tone. And uh, then as we move through the sermon, I'll do several other references. But the first and uh, um, the one that will set us up for our conversation today comes from the book um, to the Romans. And it's just a single verse out of, out of the 15th chapter. And uh, if your Bible's like my Bible, the editor kind of put little subtitles in on what each chapter deals with, so you can kind of find a quick reference. And this kind of falls in that paragraph that, that says, please others, not yourself. So with that in mind, let's look at this single verse from Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We ask God's blessing upon the reading of this word, but more than that, upon our lives being illustrations of the living word this day and each day. Thanks be to God. Well, I have, I've had the joy of preaching for the last 40 years, and uh, it was interesting last week, a young man came up to me in the 11-11 service, and he says, I'm excited to meet you. And I said, I'm a pleasure to meet you. I had no idea who he was. He said, my grandmother went to school with you. And she said, I should meet you. And I'm going, oh, gee. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it'll keep you humble. But yeah, if you're going to pull 40 years off at anything, you've been around for a while. And I have had a real joy in getting to know a variety of people with a lot of very unique and, and what I would call very special God-given gifts. You know these people, too, even though they are different people for you than they are for me. But those people who could sing a song that literally brought a lump to your throat and tears to your eyes. To people that would give so generously of themselves, both in terms of time and, and treasure, that you kind of always just sat back and wonder as they stepped up time and time and time again to make sure that the work of the Lord was being done and being done well. And you've known those people that in the midst of crisis, when everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off, they're that source of panic, or they're that source of, of calm in the midst of the panic, where everybody simply by having them in the room can take a, a deep breath and breathe in the Spirit. 
I have been blessed by and I have shared time with people who have taught children with grace and love. I was taught in this church by those kinds of people. I have had the joy of meeting those master greeters. And you know who those people are. They're present in every church. They're not necessarily assigned the task, but they are those that make that first-time visitor to the church feel welcome and wanted. I have served with elders who in a short minute prayer at the table have outdone anything I could have done in the sermon that morning. And I have stood several times at the bedside of a dying person amazed by the power of their faith and the way even to their final breath they illustrate confidence in God. When I've had the privilege to share in the memorial of a faithful Christian, there's really not much you need to preach about. You just tell their story. Tell their story. Because the story of the life itself says all we need to know. These are what I call legacy lives. That not only illustrate the path we should choose, but also confirm the value of making life choices like they made. When there is so little disconnect between what that person professes to believe and how they live out their days, their faith story is seamless and the testimony of a life well lived is obvious and inspiring. The legacy of Jesus Christ to those who followed him is that seamless story of his life and those of us who choose to model our lives after his example and if we are lucky enough, we can become beacons that can guide someone back to that ultimate illustration. It truly is amazing that most of this is not done in major and big ways, planned ways, announced ways. It's in the simple moments. It's in those thoughtful little acts that define our path and invite us to live a life that is not only pleasing to ourselves, but also pleasing to God. So today, I'm going to lean a little hard on one of my old parishioners. This uh, story I want to kind of share is the core of our visit today. It was based on a series of Sunday school lessons that became several devotional books written by a man who was a lawyer for most of, for the first half of his career. And then he turned into what I call a pretty successful writer. Richard Spate um, had a couple of his books made into movies, had uh, several of his pieces featured on national public radio, and his son, Richard Spate Jr., was one of the soldiers in Band of Brothers. Um, he was the first one actually uh, cast by Steven Spielberg. He died off, I think, in the second or third show, but he's had a good TV career as well. But his dad, his dad was the guy I knew. Um, he was a jewel at observing life around him and finding nuggets of truth in just the common everyday things. He had a great way of seeing life, and he had a great way of understanding how life can be lived to its fullest measure in the simple day-to-day -day way we live and relate to people in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work. So today I want to look at one of his Sunday School lessons. It's a very brief story. And he reminds us to live a life worth living in what he entitled, He Wore It Out and Then He Died. Okay.
Here's the story. When Phillips Turner entered medical school at Vanderbilt, he found financial help in a program designed to encourage doctors to practice in rural areas where medical help wasn't readily available. He graduated in 1939 and set up shop in Lebanon, Tennessee, expecting to stay there the required three years to take care of his loan. He ended up serving in that community until he retired in 1977. As the story goes, I didn't know Dr. Turner, but I knew his son, Phillips Turner Jr. We met many years ago when both of us were practicing law. Our relationship started out cordial, but we didn't become good friends until a few years ago when his life changed dramatically. And we were drawn together, as many of us are with other people, by common experiences. We drew close while searching for common solutions. Dr. Turner died suddenly. And he said, I knew that young Phil would be devastated because Dr. Turner was Phil's hero. He was his mentor. He was his best friend. I wanted to reach out to him and offer words of comfort. I tried to call but could only leave a message on his machine. Remember those machines that used to take messages? Yeah. I went to the funeral home, but as luck would have it, I was there at a time when there were no family members present. The next day, I went to the funeral home an hour early, hoping that I might catch him for just a moment before the service. When I entered this crowded room, Phil was standing alone next to his father's coffin. He saw me from across the room, and he waved for me to come on over. After I had expressed my sympathy, he asked me to stand with him. It was a little bit awkward, but I felt, okay, I really didn't have a choice. A steady stream of friends came forward, and one of them was an elderly gentleman, a lifelong friend who brought with him a decades-old newspaper clipping. Dr. Turner had been an outstanding multi-sport athlete in college and had played for a few years professional baseball. The clipping showed a picture of Dr. Turner and the legendary Dizzy Dean in their St. Louis Cardinal uniforms. Go Cards! Phil had never seen that picture, and it became an instant keepsake. But the gentleman who brought that clipping also had something to do with books and bookbinding, and I learned this when he shared another secret with Phil. The gentleman said, I have your father's Bible. Phil was puzzled. You do? Yes, he sent it to me two weeks ago because he'd finally worn it out. Every page was marked and underlined, every margin was filled with notations, and the leather cover was worn completely through, front and back. He wanted me to put a new cover on it. I'll send it to you when it's done. Phil was speechless for a moment. I could see tears welling up in his eyes through the tears welling up in my own. Just send it to me with the old cover on it, Phil finally managed to say. That's the way I want to remember my dad, as a man who wore out his Bible and then died. Hebrews 4.12 reminds us, For the word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for who we really are. 
And in John 14, we read this. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will cherish my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make him our abode. He that does not love me neglects my word. Yet the word you hear is not my own, but that of the father who sent me. I think we would be hard these days, hard pressed to find a stronger testimony of faith than a worn out Bible at the end of our days. Okay, so the purpose of this story is to make you think. Because when I read this story, I didn't hear it as a Sunday school presentation, I actually got it in his, one of his books. When I read this story, I began to wonder, what would the things I leave behind say about me? I have at least a dozen fishing rods in my garage. Some are from my grandfather, Rohrbaugh, my mom's father. Some are from my father-in-law, Al Harshbarger. They've both passed away. And these I will always hold on to, to honor who they were and what they left behind. They both taught me how to appreciate the outdoors. I have a baseball from my grandfather, Lofton. Actually, I've passed it on to my son, David, who lives down in Nashville, signed by the minor league team here in Keokuk from the 1950s. It always sat in a baseball holder on my grandfather's desk at S. Lofton and Sons Insurance. He loved baseball. Barb, my wife Barb, who's here today, has a barrister bookcase from her grandmother and grandfather Morris, who were both librarians. Mimi and Mac love books. So does Barb. So what will my kids and grandkids learn about me when I leave this earth? What will I leave behind that will make sense to who I am and to who I say I believe in? You see, I think most of us don't think about our legacy until we get quite a bit older in life. It's when we're facing our end of days that we begin to wonder about our accomplishments and whether or not our life has truly impacted the world in a positive way. And I will tell you, I have met a lot of people obsessed with this concern, and they're working really hard to make things right for what I would call, and they would call, a lifetime of really stupid decisions. And I've observed families trying to mend generations of old conflicts before a death happens and everyone is left behind with a sense of unresolved guilt. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it works, but too often it leaves everyone with a sense of what was lost in those years when they didn't talk to each other, when there was this brokenness, when everybody was holding grudges. They don't even remember what the grudge was about. So what are you leaving behind? What issues are still left to be addressed? And how are you investing your time and your energy? Do you leave this world wealthy in the things of it, but poor in the relationships that you gave up in pursuit of those material goods? Matthew 6.19 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. So what is the value of a life well lived? I think our story today reminds us that our answers are found in the relationships the relationships, the friendships that we leave behind, and the faithfulness by which we live our daily lives. And maybe someday, 
maybe someday, if we are fortunate, those who are left behind and are visiting at our visitation can say about us, that's the way I want to remember them, as a person who wore out their Bible and then died. Would you pray with me? Loving and grace-filled God, we are blessed. We are blessed in more ways than we truly and fully understand. And while we struggle with the pressures of life, while we struggle with the physical ailments, while we struggle with those things that we wish we could control, there is so much of life that is just there in front of us that is truly such a blessing. Those people who love us in spite of ourselves, those relationships we built over generations, a church that nurtures not only us, but our kids, our grandkids, and for generations yet unnamed. But God, for this day, for this moment in time, help us to connect to your will that we might live lives that not only leave a legacy for us, but a legacy for you. We offer all these things in humble prayer. Amen.